Welcome to Nomcast, where we take a deep dive into your food and splash around to see what we can find. I'm your host, Alice Seslewski. And it's time for part two of our special three-part series on all the weird, wonderful and warm-hearted connections we can find between food and mood. So grab an extra chair and dust off the big pot, because today we're going to be talking about sharing food and why it's been making us all full up in our hearts, minds and stomachs since before the word food was even invented. But as always, before we get into it, I want to ask everyone to check if their brains are switched on and fully charged because there'll be a quiz at the end. First question though. Have you ever looked at the last slice of pizza in the box and thought, should I take that? Has everyone had enough? Am I being greedy? Am I still even hungry? Then congratulations, you are officially a human being. Yay! Yep, from pizza and katsu, curry to goulash, apricot tart, lemon cake, plates packed with passion fruit and big piles of yummy fresh watermelon, it doesn't matter what the food is, if you're sitting around sharing it, you're tapping into what makes us, us. Because for most animals, even our closest ape relatives, eating is more of a solo kind of deal. A chimp swings from tree to tree munching on fruits like bananas and insects all through the day. Cows and sheep stand around in big fields chewing the tastiest grass they can find. Most of the time, they don't even face each other. So they're probably not ruminating on the weather. So why do humans from everywhere on Earth choose to gather around at certain times of the day sharing meals and talking about what's on our minds? Well, it turns out some answers can be found by looking at our closest cousin, the Neanderthals. Neanderthals occupied the Earth for hundreds of thousands of years, up until around 40,000 years ago. And luckily for us, but maybe not for them. Back then, they didn't have toothbrushes because scientists have studied the fossilised gunk in Neanderthal teeth to find some pretty amazing clues about humanity. Samples found in Belgium show that the Neanderthals living in the area hunted woolly rhinoceros and wild sheep. Further south, in Spanish caves, they were happier eating mushrooms, pine nuts, moss and even tree bark. And in some coastal Spanish caves, they found evidence that Neanderthals ate lots of shellfish and beans. Mm. These dietary clues have helped us figure out how Neanderthals would have behaved during mealtimes. <laughs> Woolly rhinoceros were big, so hunting required teamwork. And Neanderthals discovered they could get more energy from meat if they cooked it, because it meant more of it was digestible. They cooked in campfire-style ovens called hearths. But it doesn't seem like they had a dinner time like ours. In Spain, scientists found dozens of fossilised hearths scattered all over the place inside the one cave, which seems to show that Neanderthals weren't all that interested in sitting around together and chatting while they ate. In fact, while Neanderthals had bigger brains than humans, they weren't great talkers or sharers. The bigger parts of their brains worked better for moving and hunting than thinking and talking. Indeed, one of the key things that could have helped humans outlast Neanderthals is how we behaved after the food was prepared. 
It seems Neanderthals and humans both discovered that by cooking meals instead of grazing and swinging about all day, we had more energy to stay up for a few hours at night and spend time together. Difference is, humans use that extra downtime to sit around the fire and just hang out. Yep, we discovered that gathering in the same place during mealtimes to chat and tell stories helps you feel good, which helps you make friends. And this meant we built bigger social circles. And when the Ice Age ended and massive creatures were harder to find, the fact Neanderthals were great hunters became less important because of a little thing called agriculture. Humans got through the tough times when food was scarce by cooking and sharing and trading stories and food they'd grown. And it's still what we do. But what exactly is it about eating together that makes us feel so good? Hmm. Hello, listeners! This is an important dental hygiene announcement. Ned's Neanderthal dental floss is now three times stronger and lasts four times longer than any Ice Age products, guaranteed. So please remember, if your teeth get mossy, it's time to get flossing. Choose Ned's every time. You might remember in part one, when we talked about how exercise and foods like berries, citrus, chilli, nuts and seeds release feel-good chemicals in your brain called endorphins. Well, it turns out those same endorphins get released in an ape's brain when it sits around stroking the hairy back of another ape looking for bugs to eat. Mutual grooming helps apes feel good and live their best lives. Humans are descended from apes. But when our human ancestors first started getting together around the fire and forming bigger social groups, they had a problem. (gasps) Suddenly, there wasn't enough time or room for everyone to lie around grooming each other. But it was okay because they eventually realised that cooking and eating meals together feels just as good as stroking each other's fur. Because it releases the same endorphins that rush into an ape's brain when it's gently picking through its ape friend's back hair. Dancing and listening to music together releases endorphins too. But eating together tends to be one activity we can all agree on, no matter how old we are or what language we speak. It's a great way to get an endorphin rush. And it's a shortcut for making friends, because if you went up to someone you just met and started combing their hair for bugs, they'd probably get a little worried. But if you offer them a half-time orange and get chatting, you might just find you have some fun things in common, no matter who they are. Our guts and brains are connected. We've already established that in part one. And research has shown that distractions at the dinner table can activate nerves that inhibit digestion and mean we extract less energy from food. But in general, shared meals are shown to help people build trust. They can even help people work together better. So passing around a plate of tropical fruit or sharing some crunchy cucumber, celery and carrot sticks during a brainstorm session can actually help people get along and form groups that work more efficiently and come up with better ideas. Sharing the same sets of pens and pencils won't have the same effect. Partly because the connection between food and cooperation goes way back to those first team-building conversations our ancestors were having hundreds of thousands of years ago. Just like certain plants, we tend to work best when we work together. Bananas bunch up and start off growing downwards, then when they get bigger and absorb more sunlight, they all bend as one upwards towards the sun. It's why they're such a bendy shape. 
Peas are another team player. They like to grow alongside each other in pods, and a pea plant will even be kind enough to help balance the nutrient levels in the soil, which means if you plant them next to certain other veggies, they'll all grow better together. Native Americans discovered if you plant sweet corn, climbing beans and pumpkins or squash in a cooperative formation, then they all grow better together. The shade from corn helps the beans grow. The squash or pumpkins are planted on the outer edges so they don't compete for light while helping create some dense ground cover. When it's all thriving, it's called a three sisters garden. Of course, once these fruits and veggies are all grown up, they're far from done in helping balance everything out. The omega-3s in peas can reduce inflammation in your body, which can help with anxiety. And the vitamins and minerals in bananas can help reduce tiredness and stress. That's why people say that when your eyes are twitching, it's a banana craving that's itching. And less stress means we're more likely to say yes to new experiences and new friends. Even just the smell of food can connect us to our memories and our stories while bringing us closer together. That's because we have nerves in our noses that live way up there, past where you can stick a finger. And these nerves have special receptors that can detect a large range of smells. Some of them spend years waiting. Then, when, say, the smell of a freshly cut peach wafts up there, the scent attaches to the specific smell receptor that remembers peaches and sends a message to your brain to go, I know that smell. Ah, that takes me back to that lovely picnic I had when we all ate peaches and I played frisbee with my best friend for the first time. In fact, this connection between food and shared memory is strong all over the world, not just because our noses love chatting with our brains, but because taste and smell work through traditions and symbols that get passed down from generation to generation. In China, persimmons are given as gifts to symbolise business success. Almonds, walnuts and hazelnuts are used in traditional Persian medicine to treat memory loss because they have fatty acids that feed your brain. And have you ever smelt marzipan? Mm-mm-mm. That's almond essence sweetening up the air. And don't even get me started on Persian love cakes topped with bright green pistachio nuts or, as they're sometimes known in Iran, the smiling nut. <laughs> Legend has it that pistachio trees were featured in the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Historians think the gardens would have been built by the great king Nebuchadnezzar II way back in the 6th century, complete with water features, exotic plants and towers that rose up above the landscape. They would have been for food and fun, which would make sense because Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, part of modern-day Iraq, and his diet would have been pretty similar to what we might refer to as the Mediterranean diet. With its leafy green veggies and plant-based fats, this way of eating has been shown to be mood-boosting, helping feed the connection between your gut and your brain. And once your insides are sharing nutrients and firing up the feel-good chemicals like endorphins, serotonin and dopamine in your brain, chances are you'll feel a lot better about sharing the fun times with others. Whether that means planting a garden, building a tower or just handing over some orange segments midway through your soccer match. All right, 
Quiz time! Question 1. How long ago did Neanderthals become extinct? Question 2. What are the happy chemicals that get released when we eat together? Question 3. Where did they find fossils of moss-covered teeth? Question 4. When were the Hanging Gardens of Babylon supposed to have been built? Question 5. Who used almonds, walnuts and hazelnuts as a treatment for memory loss? Question 6. What's a half? Ready for the answers? Let's go. Answer 1. Around 40,000 years ago. Answer 2. Endorphins. Answer 3. Spain. Answer 4. 6th century. Answer 5. The Persians. Answer 6. A place to cook with an open flame. Okay, that's all we have time for today. Make sure you check out phenomenon.com.au for videos, more podcast episodes and lesson ideas. And don't forget to tell your teacher. This project has been funded by Hort Innovation using horticulture research and development levies and funds from the Australian Government. Hort Innovation is the grower-owned not-for-profit research and development corporation for Australian horticulture. For more information, visit horticulture.com.au.